This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. Linda Cohen here with you. Well, it's just a fact of life that men's and women's bodies operate differently and are susceptible to different problems. Due to anatomic realities, women tend to have different medical issues regarding their bladders and their urinary tract than men. The causes are many, and so are the potential issues, but here, with more on the urological problems that women face, is Dr. Elizabeth Ferry. She's Assistant Professor of Urology, specializing in female urology and urodynamics, as well as general female urologic health at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Ferry. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And I also noticed in your bio that you are a Watertown native, yes. and you are a graduate of Upstate Medical University. Yes. So so welcome back. Thank Thanks you. I'm so very happy for, to be back. And thank you so much for coming in today. So women experience different urologic issues than men, but I thought we might begin by explaining what we mean by the urologic system. What are the parts that of our body that are involved in this system that we call the urologic system? Absolutely. I like to refer to myself as a plumber. <laughs> I think that's the easiest way to conceptualize it. Starting with the kidneys, our kidneys take out all of the um, water and salt from our blood that our body doesn't need anymore, and that's essentially what urine is. Uh, once they, this is processed through the kidneys, it drains down the ureters into the bladder, and then women um, urinate through the urethra. So the bladder is like a holding tank. So the kidneys are the purifiers of the blood or taking out things we don't need any longer, as you said, salt and water. Are there other things that come out as well? Other, you know, elements that come out of the blood? Or is it mostly salt and water? Yes, there's other things that, um, so like you said, the kidneys are, are basically a purifier for the blood. So they're taking out all the things um, that it doesn't need anymore. Okay, and then they go through the urethra, the ureters? Ureters, yep. Ureters into the bladder, which is like a holding tank. Yes. And then down through the urethra is how we urinate. Correct. Okay, and then it comes out the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's a good overview. So why is it that women, or women have different urological issues than men? Can you just kind of explain why that might be? Sure. A lot of people think of urologists, um, there's been a lot of wonderful um, PSAs and information out there about prostate cancer, but women have a lot of urologic issues as well. Women can get kidney stones, they can get cancer in these organs, but about 50% of women do develop urinary incontinence, and about 10 to 15% develop uh, dropped bladder or prolapse. And these are very treatable conditions, and it doesn't necessarily mean surgery, but we're happy to work with women so that they don't have to deal with these issues anymore. It doesn't have to be a part of daily life. And what you, and I think what you're alluding to also is that some of these are real conditions, and they're not necessarily something that always happens to all women. Absolutely. So I thought we would do, just to help our listeners, we would do kind of a, a through-the-life-cycle kind of approach to urology in women, if that's okay with you. Sure. So help us understand what generally happens to younger women in terms of their urologic system. What kinds of conditions or problems might arise? So similar to men, uh, any women could get kidney stones, and these can develop as early as childhood. As women get a little bit older, and um, you can start to have urinary frequency and urgency and even some incontinence. So those are kind of, that's an overview of the kind of thing. Um, what, who's most at risk if we're talking about younger women? Are there, I mean, are there people who are 
stone developers. I mean, I've heard that before. There's something about them that makes them more prone, perhaps, to develop stones. Absolutely. And certainly if you develop a stone at a young age, we're happy to um, do certain testing to evaluate why you developed stones and how you could prevent them in the future. So that's the question. So is it something that you say it's treatable? So obviously the, the initial insult of the stone, there are ways of helping the stone pass, what have you, and I know it can be very painful. Yes. But are, what are the kinds of treatments that are made available? Is it dietary changes? What kinds of things are done? For preventative management, there are dietary changes as well as some uh, medicines that people can take, depending on what's making them more prone to develop the stones. Um, what generally, um, as you move through, as I said, um, what generally happens as you age in terms of your kidney and your bladders? Your bladder, <laughs> one bladder, your kidneys and your bladder. I mean, what are the, what are the things that aging or, or growing in terms of going from the early years to let's say the 30s and 40s, what, what generally is happening then? So some women can develop sensitivities in their bladder that makes them um, either have pain or sometimes overactivity, or some people just develop overactivity, um, the needing to go all the time more than the people around you. Why does that happen? What, what is the cause? Is it understood as to what the cause of that is? There's uh, schools of thought on both the pain and the overactivity. Um, the pain especially is thought to be a, a priming or an overactivity of certain nerves within the bladder. And they don't know why that comes. I mean, are some people more at risk for that in terms of their genetic makeup or their family history? Are there some of those things playing a role? Not especially that have been really well developed. So what do you do for that? So if somebody has that urgency, that frequency, that discomfort, the pain, um, and feeling they have to go all the time. I've seen a lot of commercials on television. So is it always treated medically through medic basically medications? It's really patient-dependent. And again, we like to work with our patients to try and develop a treatment plan that works best for you. Pelvic floor physical therapy is an excellent option for people that want to avoid medicines to help to retrain the bladder and the pelvic floor. Um, there are certainly very good medications available. And then there's additional treatments that we offer if a couple of medicines have failed, um, injecting Botox into the bladder, as well as trying to trick those nerves to help to relax the bladder. So, so basically, let me step back. When you say pelvic floor physical therapy, help us understand what is going on in terms of the the pel so-called pelvic floor, and why would exercise or physical therapy be effective? The bladder and the rectum and the female reproductive organs all live very close together within the pelvic floor, and that bowl of muscles that comprise the pelvic floor, they have a very dynamic relationship. And so if the issue is having to go all the time, the pelvic floor physical therapists are specially trained to help work on using those muscles to help to relax the bladder. So they give you exercises and, and work with you. Or if the issue is leaking or not being able to hold the urine, they can help to train those muscles to hold it better. Everyone's heard of Kegels, but this is a little bit more and a little bit uh, more in depth, more in depth and, and more specific training.
There is, that's interesting that it can really make a difference. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with urologist Dr. Elizabeth Ferry. We're talking about women's urologic issues. So I would think that if you are going through child rear, childbirth and pregnancy, that there, as we know, women have a lot of pressure in those around those organs. And are is pregnancy and you know successive childbirth does that play a role in terms of the likelihood of women developing urologic symptoms and problems? So certainly pregnancy is a risk for incontinence as well as for that dropped bladder or or prolapse. Um, Just because of the weakening or the softening of the ligaments and all the structural support for those organs? Is that the main reason? Well, there's actually a lot of really interesting research being done on this, whether it's the pregnancy itself and the hormones at play, or uh, vaginal delivery, especially with larger babies, um, and if there's any tearing involved. So basically, in a sense, what you're saying is pregnancy does put you at risk, potentially. It doesn't mean that every person who has babies ends up with you know incontinence, or even um, any of these issues, but it does put you in that kind of a, a potential circumstance. Certainly. It's a risk. Not everyone develops incontinence, and not everyone that develops incontinence has had babies. Okay. That's very interesting. So what happens during menopause? Does the loss of estrogen change things significantly? And again, as we age, is, are you more likely over time to develop some of these issues? Certainly as we age, we're more and more likely to develop these symptoms, especially of incontinence and of the drop bladder, just as everything starts to drop a little bit as we get older. <laughs> gravity the the gravity <laughs> is, is unrelenting. Yeah. Um, and definitely after menopause, the, the decreased estrogen can have an impact on the vagina, um, and especially with issues of intercourse and pain with intercourse. So those things will occur just... They could. They could occur, not mm-hmm. in every woman as well. So over, overall, if you were to categorize the kind of common problems that occur, let's just do a little overview review again. So what you mentioned stones, frequency. What are some of the other things? I mean, what else would you be on the lookout for, and what symptoms would you be concerned about? Recurrent urinary tract infections plague a lot of women. Um, and we can look into why they're at risk for them, if there's anything particular that's um, putting them at risk, and and that would be treatable. Um, Is that usually because of anatomical things that are going on, or is it because of their immune system? What usually is at the cause of of frequent urinary tract infections? It depends. It could be um, that there's a kidney stone that's um, causing recurrent infections. various anatomic things that you had mentioned, um, whether that be an abnormal connection or a little outpouching, not being able to empty the bladder all the way. All of these could be why a woman could develop recurrent or persistent urinary tract infections. So if somebody were to have those, is it very important for them to see a urologist to get a kind of a very in-depth diagnosis and therefore then treatment? It's certainly important to rule out any preventable causes or anatomic issues that's causing this. One or two urinary tract infections per year is not abnormal in women, but if you have more than two in six months, you know that should warrant an evaluation. Go ahead. Another important thing that should be evaluated is blood in the urine for women. And even if you're not seeing it, but your, your doctor is telling you that 
when they test your urine, they're seeing blood under the microscope. That's really important to have evaluated. Why? What does that mean? It could be nothing. It could be kidney stones. It There's a variety of things that could cause this little bit of blood in the urine, but sometimes it's the only thing that's telling us that there's a cancer there. And and women do develop kidney cancers, bladder cancers, so it's really important to have these things evaluated. So again, uh, would that be the kind of thing that your primary care doctor might alert you to, and then it would be important to go further and see a urologist? Absolutely. And you had said uh, when we first sat down something you wanted women to know about seeing a urologist. I think people become very um, gun-shy for want of a better term, to the idea of going to a surgical subspecialty like urology if they if they feel like they're having incontinence or something. So, Absolutely. I think a lot of people are concerned that if they see a surgeon, they're going to get a surgery, and that's certainly not the case. We are happy to work with you to develop a treatment plan that you're comfortable with. We talked a little bit about pelvic floor physical therapy, different ways of tricking the nerves. That doesn't have to be a surgical method as well as medicines and, and really a lot of other things to work with you to find a treatment plan um, as you say, that you're comfortable with. Dietary changes, sometimes they do endoscopy, things that are less invasive and Absolutely. ways of really finding out what's at the bottom of all these issues. But I guess what's the, the bottom line is that most of these things are very treatable. Yes, I think it's important to know that, especially once the more concerning things, we talked a little bit about cancer, uh, once those things are ruled out, it really becomes a lifestyle issue, and women don't have to just live with these issues. These can be a huge impact on their lifestyle, and we are here and want to help uh, with female providers so it's a comfortable setting um, so that you don't have to deal with this. Thanks so much. That's very, very encouraging and very reassuring. My guest has been Dr. Elizabeth Ferry. She's assistant professor of urology specializing in female urology and urodynamics, general uh, female urologic health as well at Upstate Medical University. Uh, thanks again. Thank I'm, you. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.